Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 216 of the Falcoholic Live. I am your host, Kevin Knight. At Falcoholic Kevin, joined by my co-host, he is Adnan Ikic at Say Which Way. Adnan, how are we doing tonight? Uh, doing well, you know, uh, ready to, well, it's not, I was going to say ready to get into the second half of the season, but we have one more game before we get into the second half, right? Yep. Uh, this is, uh, this will be week eight already. Mm-hmm. God, it feels like it's just flown by at this point, but yeah, ready to get back to 500 with a, a win in division play this week. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think this is an excellent chance to get back to 500 against the Panthers, but we did just see the Panthers play the game of their collective lives uh, against the Bucks, and that upset. So you know maybe can't take the Panthers as lightly as potentially uh, first thought. But you know we'll we'll be getting into that a little bit tonight. Also joining us for that adventure among others, is Aaron Freeman at Falk Fans on the Twitter, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast. Aaron, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing good. Glad to be back on, uh, especially now after a loss, so that I can spew my usual hatred towards the Atlanta Falcons. Yes, this works up, works out much better for you, I think, this week. So we'll, we'll be, be yeah. sure to indulge uh, your dark side. Uh, that that I know you just you can't can't stay you you can't stand talking too positive. Um, so yeah. I know you there were too many positive takes in the last show. So we'll make sure to balance out that juju uh, tonight with plenty of you know well deserved negativity. No, <laughs> no, the the Falcons did uh, did not obviously win in Week Seven. Uh, it was a, a difficult watch, but they're funny enough. I, I think like people are sort of t- taking the wrong conclusions from the game, and I think Aaron, you maybe feel similarly, but. The Falcons did lose 35-17. to That was their first blowout loss of the season, coincidentally coming after their first blowout win of the season, so at least they're consistent uh, with the last two weeks being blowouts. It was a tough watch. The secondary, obviously very injured, but did not uh, cover the Bengals very well at all. They got absolutely obliterated early in the game. They did manage to recover in the second half a bit and only allow seven points, but... The damage had already been done. They'd given up 28 points in the first half. And the Falcons' offense just couldn't seem to get out of its own way. Uh, The run game actually struggled this week, which is not something we're used to seeing. And they managed just 17 points, all of which came in like the last two minutes almost of the first half. Uh, So it was a complicated game. There was a a brief moment after halftime where it looked like the Falcons had a chance to potentially climb back into this game. Um, you know, if they had, I think they had basically two drives after halftime where it was 28 to 17 and you put a touchdown on the board there. 
you, you bring it back to a four-point game. Everything is, is back in contention. You know, we're rolling, and they, they went three and out both times. And then, of course, the Bengals got back on the scoreboard and put this one completely out of reach. Um, so let's start with Aaron, as, as our valued and special guest this evening, I'll let you sort of lead the way. Where do you want to start with dissecting this game? I know you just finished your film review of it. Uh, I actually didn't get around to finishing mine because I was totally slammed yesterday. So you probably have a little bit more of an in-depth look, but uh, I'll let you lead the way to wherever you want to sort of start the discussion on this uh, blowout defeat in, in week seven. Uh, where to start? Um, yeah, it was it was tough for the Falcons defense. You know, I, I think a lot of people, it's easy to kind of chalk it up as they had injuries in the secondary, and that was the reason why the the Bengals were so effective throwing the ball against them. And, and that, I think that certainly was a contributing factor, but I don't think that's the only factor. It was basically just like the only, I think the injuries only really impacted the Falcons on the rare instances where they played man coverage. And basically in those instances, Joe Burrow was like, I'm just going to throw it to Jamar Chase because nobody can cover him. And even if the Falcons had been healthy, I, I still think he probably would have done the same thing. And, you know, yeah. maybe he wouldn't have um, scored both touchdowns or, or whatever, but like he still probably would have had a big game. And so I don't know if the injuries in the secondary are that consequential uh, to their struggles on defense. I think a lot of it was they weren't able to provide a lot of pressure up front, which has always been the sort of Achilles heel for this Bengals offense. Um, and I think the Bengals really did a thorough job attacking their zone coverage particularly early in the game when the Falcons were playing their cover two, that first touchdown um, to Tyler Boyd was, uh, you know, they split the, the two safeties deep. Uh, Richie Grant fell down um, on that play. And the Bengals, you know, most teams have been playing cover two against the Bengals and the Bengals basically at this point in the season, as we saw on Sunday, have basically made the correct adjustments to it and put in a whole lot of plays that were really picking apart uh, the Falcons cover two and, and and that stuff. So um, I think that's kind of what the defensive game plan um, kind of boiled down to. And and when the Falcons play bin but don't break defense, and the whole point of that is we will concede like the four and five yard gains. And, and you saw that mostly work in the second half. Um, yeah. And but it it completely breaks down when you're giving up you know twenty thirty forty. 60 yard plays like the Falcons were giving up left and right, particularly in the first half of the game. And so that uh, was their problem. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, a lot of the discussion this week has been about the Falcons offense and its inability outside of basically one play <laughs> to really do anything <laughs> worthwhile uh, this, this past Sunday. And so uh, I'll concede if Adnan wants to sort of, <laughs> take that point from this point on so uh. sure Adnan why don't you uh, you watch the game too Adnan uh if there's anything you want to add about the defense or you could just take it away with a uh uh critique of the offense which honestly I think the offense is the more disappointing performance in this one because I think we all sort of expected the defense to get blasted especially once AJ Terrell went down so uh what, what are your thoughts there Adnan I mean, there's getting blasted, which, you know, they were, in, in fairness, it was practice squad guys covering arguably the best wide receiver trio in the league right now. If not, you know, I, I don't even know if there's too much argument. Uh, Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd are 
a hell of a wide receiver core that they put around Joe Burrow over in Cincinnati. But there's also giving 500, giving up 537 yards of total offense, which is just a ridiculous amount, no matter what the circumstances are. And it could have been, I feel like it could have been even more. Um, you know, Joe Burrow had what over 350 yards and three touchdowns in the first half. It was just it, it it was just a pathetic performance overall. And I'll give the defense some credit. They they locked down a little bit and gave the offense a chance to get back into it. Uh especially after the offense had those quick scores and you know, shout out to Avery Williams for that good punt return to set up the field goal before the half. Um, but moving into the offense, despite all of the struggles, I think the offense was down what the team was down 28 to 17 to start the second half. Uh, the defense um, got, I think, uh, forced to punt. They got a stop, a three and out. And the offense went three yards and punted it back. And then the defense gets another stop. And then the offense, again, goes three and out and gives the ball right back. And I think it's just a testament to just how severely limited the offense is to the point where even though you're down by three possessions throughout almost the entirety of the afternoon, Marcus Mariota attempts 13 passes. I I don't think you can play in the modern NFL against better teams and just be so severely limited in your passing attack. Uh, I, the Falcons right now are running or rushing at a rate seen in, in the fucking 1940s. <laughs> um it, it, it's like like don't get me wrong i i love the ground and pound i love when it works i i know exactly what they're going for they're trying to manage the clock uh make things easier for the defense limit mistakes that's that's fine but when the other team jumps completely jumps on the defense the way that they did this team looks absolutely helpless when when trying to come back and i know it almost happened against the bucks but the Bucs have their own like issues to worry about on offense. The Bucs aren't looking very good either. Uh, and against the Rams, I know that, that they had that near 28-3 comeback, but that was completely spurred by that punt return, which was blo- or that pump block, which was recovered for a touchdown. Um, it was spurred by some incredible individual plays like the Darren Hall forced fumble. This offense just isn't built right now with Mariota to come back because – they're just not letting they're just helpless through the air. And I think, I think it may be time to consider a quarterback switch and, you know, just because just to possibly raise your ceiling a little bit, because right now this offense, they have no ceiling when, when they, when they go down, it's all just run game, run game, run game. And that can work against, you know, against a team like the Browns where they didn't have three of their four starters on the defensive line against uh, an injured 49ers team where you jump on them to start, you get a defensive recovery for a touchdown. If this team takes the lead, they're golden. But as soon as they go down, it's just, you you, you can pretty much write them off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it it's been very limited. And part of the problem in this game like, I, I guess maybe I'm in the minority. Like, I don't think that the fact that they ran, like, that they had to run was a problem in this. I think the problem to me was that they just didn't do anything well. Like, 
they had two drives after halftime. They were down 11 points. They're down two scores. Uh, they have all. The, they have several drives. They could run any plays they want. They could run the ball. It's it's right after halftime. You got like the the one good thing about being down big like early is that you have a chance to claw your way back without really having to do anything crazy. You have a whole half. And the problem is they just go three and out like three straight times. Uh, they they don't move the ball at all. They only had 47 plays in the entire game, um, which is not enough to do anything, really. Um, they just kept, they didn't sustain any drives. Uh, they went four of 10 on third down, which is not the worst. But to me, the, the biggest issue here is that you just didn't do anything particularly well. I, they got, they really struggled on first down in particular. It seemed like they just couldn't get positive runs going on first down and that put them sort of behind the sticks and maybe that's more of the thing right with this offense is like if they get into consistent third and long situations it's very difficult for them to complete those against a good pass defense which is what the Bengals are I mean you have to be to me I'm just disappointed this Bengals defense gave up over 200 yards on the ground to the Saints a week ago and they were out Logan Wilson and DJ Reader in this one as well as their backup nose tackle and the Falcons barely moved the ball on the ground they had that one drive where they did well and then they couldn't really get much going after that and I think that is maybe where you see more of the limit which is if the Falcons can't run the ball like they're not successful doing it then the offense can't do anything right uh so you know I guess however you frame it whether it's like they can't pass or like they can't do anything if they can't run like that sort of thing um that's been sort of I think the Achilles heel of this team, and we only really seen it twice against the Rams uh, and now in this game where they weren't able to really get much sustained success on the ground. Um, and I guess you hope that Patterson coming back helps with some of that, but you know maybe this was just an off game for the, the run blocking. I mean, I, I didn't think the run blocking was particularly good in this one. Um, but the passing, it's like 13 attempts is like comically, like comically low in terms of passing attempts. Like, I mean, it, it's... Like, Joe Burrow threw it 42 times and they were leading the whole game. Like, it, I mean, it's... It's... Clearly, there's something going on here when you're only throwing the ball 13 times. Um, and I think that's sort of what you guys are getting at. And Aaron, I know you have strong takes on the Mariota situation. On, on you. It sounds like you might have some strong takes too. But, you know, it, it's... When he's... He's been not able to... Be, Aaron's, but yeah, not as yeah. strong as Aaron's, but... I think I'm getting there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's weird how how crazy things swing in one week, right? Because last week it was like, oh, well, will we see Ritter at all if Mariota keeps having weeks like this? And then one week later, it's like, oh, like, when are we going to see Ritter again? So um, I think, Aaron, you've always been sort of like, well, when are we going to see Ritter? You know, regardless of his, his NFC player of the, the week performance uh, two weeks ago, but... Where are you at right now with the, you know, I don't know what we should call it, the Ritter clock or, or something like that. But, you know, it, do you think that it is really Mariota holding back the passing game or is it more complicated? Um, I think it's somewhat Mariota holding back the passing game. But at the same time, I don't necessarily blame Mariota for basically being the quarterback that he's always kind of been. So, like, I don't know if it's fair to really expect Mario to do that much more than what he's doing. I think he could certainly do a little bit better <laughs> than what he's doing, but like, I don't know if, you know, like what we saw against the 49ers, I don't expect him to play that well every single week. 
Um, I think it's going to be somewhere below that level, but probably above what we've seen in, in some of his weaker games um, this year. And so for me, and I was talking about this um, today on Locked on Falcons, um, which was that like I'm not ready to pull the plug on, on Mariota at this point in time. Um, I'm willing to give him a couple more weeks uh, to see if there is any progress, if this passing game can be a little bit more functional and he can play closer to what he played like against the 49ers. And if he does, then I, I think, you know, that will be, you know, enough for him to potentially retain the job, assuming that the Falcons are winning games and are competitive in all those games, uh, which I assume they will be. Uh, and if he's able to do that, then, you know, he should be able to hold on to the job. But if, if that's not the case and the Falcons, we're still basically having these same conversations about how limited the passing game is um, three weeks from now. And he's not really doing a whole lot to help the situation. Then I do think that makes the most, from my perspective, you kind of need to make a change to see if, you know, Ritter can give you a little bit more. Maybe he can, maybe he 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 can't, uh, but I don't think you'll know until you try. And I think the hope with Ritter coming in is not going to completely revamp the Falcons' offense, but maybe he's going to be a little bit more capable to give you those sort of efficient games like we saw uh, Mariota do against the 49ers a, a little bit more consistently uh, moving forward. Um, and, you know, when I when I look at the offense, I, I think a lot of it, and Kevin, we talked about this a little bit on Twitter, I think a lot of it is the offensive line. And when you look in the second half of that game, the offensive line gave it three sacks and pretty much any time where the Falcons tried to go to a five man or six man protection, they got beat by the Bengals pass rush and the Bengals have a good pass rush, but by no means is, is a dominant unit. And it just seems like I think the thing that's forcing Arthur Smith to rely so much on the running game is he does not have any confidence in the Falcons offensive line. And I think the conversation needs to be had that while they've made significant improvements as run blockers, I think you can make an argument that they are marginally better than they were a year ago as pass protectors, uh, as a unit. And I think the other factor I'd notice, I was looking at next-gen stats, uh, and the Falcons have run with against eight men in the box, like I think on like 60% of their runs yeah, the last yeah. couple of weeks. Um, and that, that's just a really high number because I remember when like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt were leading the league uh, in that stat going into that Browns game in week four, there was, was like 30% or something like that. Um, and traditionally, run success correlates more to how many defenders are the box. Like there's there's data that suggests that your ability to run the football is more linked to how many defenders are in the box than your running backs ability or your offensive lines ability. And part of me wonders given teams like the Bengals and others that have been loading the box as of lately, are we going to see a downturn in this Falcons running game compared to what we saw earlier in the season? And going back to your point, Kevin, um, if that's the case, does that mean that we're going to see more games like this where when the Falcons can't control the ball and control the line of scrimmage, will their offense cease to function? And, and so that goes back to the Mariota point where it's like, if he can't give you more than what he's giving you, then I think the case can be made that you can look at another quarterback like Desmond Ritter and hope that he can give you that thing. But again, I, I'm willing to give Mariota a couple more weeks to, to figure this out. Yeah. And I, I think it is complicated too. And I think that's what people need to understand is that, 
it's it's clearly the passing game is limited for multiple reasons and and if you don't if you can't admit that Mariota's responsible for some of them I think there's an issue there like I think it's pretty clear that he has some some weaknesses like to me it's not it's not necessarily I don't really think it's an arm strength thing or really just a, an overall accuracy thing to to a big extent I think it's mostly something that confuses me because on some plays you'll see Marcus Mariota react so quickly like on the botch snaps on plays where something get, goes wrong uh he's really good at like finding a way to make a positive play out of those really chaotic situations but then when you put him in a situation where he's got pressure coming and he needs to get the ball out quick and you can't afford to take a sack he doesn't seem to see the field quickly he doesn't seem to he to me, the biggest critique I have is that he's not really willing to throw the ball into tight windows. And I think when you've got players like Kyle Pitts and Drake London, you need to like take chances just getting the ball to them, um, especially in third, like third and long. Like you know, Kyle Drake London doesn't need to have three yards of separation to catch a pass. Neither does Kyle Pitts. Like some of these guys, you just got to chuck it to him. And I feel like part of the reason the pass attempts are so low is because Mario is not willing to throw it into those tight windows. He doesn't see guys coming open super quickly. I don't think he, he reads the field particularly well. But he does offer you that really good rushing ability. And the Falcons have sort of been bailed out, I think, by that on numerous occasions. His play under pre- like in, in chaos has bailed them out as well. And he's clearly capable of making some good throws. Like I think maybe we, we might see the deep game start to come together a little bit more here. That was a nice play to Demir Bird, obviously. Uh, you know, if you want to point to something and say like, oh, they finally hit that deep shot that they've been trying to hit all year and it worked great. And, you know, that was obviously a very nice play, but the fact that they're only calling, you know, they're calling less than 20 passing plays on any given week is, is definitely an indictment of the coaching staff's belief in, in Mariota to helm an effective passing game. It's also something to do with what Aaron was saying about this offensive line. I mean, look, we've talked about it. It's basically the same offensive line except for Elijah Wilkinson because Drew Dahlman was here last year. He could have played. And and to me, I I don't know if everyone agrees, but I, I to me, the biggest liability right now is actually Drew Dahlman at center. I don't know if... I know, Aaron, you're probably going to agree with that because you're very happy with Caleb McGarry Island. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, you can't slander McGarry Island. It's just got that four-star renovation. It's trying to get back to five, so you can't slander it i understand you're contractually obligated not to but um i'll give adnan a chance here first adnan what do you sort of see as the biggest weakness on the offensive line uh at this point in the season i mean i think it would be too simplistic to just say that yeah their pass blocking is uh leaving a a little bit to be desired and i feel like the coaching staff has done a good job of masking that uh by going so run heavy but like Aaron said other teams are really starting to adjust to that and you know at some point they're just starting to dare the Falcons to to start beating them through the air not at some point it's already started he gave you he gave us that stat about how many eight-man boxes uh Atlanta has been having to deal with um and I I don't know it 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 really is it really is just a culmination just of, of a, a bunch of small things. I don't think there's any like one silver bullet you, you can, uh, you can fire off and change. I, I know I was making it seem like that by talking about the possible quarterback change. I think that 
that could help the team uh, a little bit. But overall, I don't think that this is an issue with the offense that they're really going to figure out this season because the offensive line is what it is w- w- with their pass blocking. I think you you do it, it's not going to be fixed long term until you bring in better pass blockers, until you bring in you know maybe a better center, a better guard. Maybe that maybe the answer is uh, shifting from Dalman to Matt back to Matt Hennessy, seeing what he has after an off season preparation, uh, seeing if he can be a better pass blocker than he was last year, which he was pretty. He was pretty dreadful last year as, as a pass blocker. Um, but uh, I don't know. The frustrating part is there's no one thing and there's no series of things that you can really, you know, change right now. All, all you can sort of do is, is, try, is try to, you know, continue giving the offensive line more help uh, with those chip blocks, you know, keeping a tight end in which uh, I get that the fantasy community especially is very upset about Kyle Pitts doing more blocking and less catching. And, you know, they're calling for Arthur Smith's head on a spike uh, to be delivered to them because, you know, their precious tight end three that they ranked before the season, not um, not playing as well as they thought he would. But, yeah, it, it really is a tricky situation. And, and this is just one of those fundamental core things of – this roster is at the end of the day one of the worst rosters in the league you know i think that's to be expected they have 77 million dollars in dead cap which is that it may be an nfl record for for one season uh their highest paid player uh against the cap right now is matt ryan um their second highest paid player against the cap is julio jones neither of those guys are on the team and it, it that's what impresses me even more about this team being at three and four and having a chance and having the chance that it does moving forward. The coaching staff has just done a great job sort of squeezing blood out of a rock. And they did so last season against taking advantage of a worse schedule. Like last year's team was not a seven win team. Uh, I don't think that this year's team is a team whose roster reflects a three and four record or a record of a team that's in the hunt for an NFC wildcard spot. So I think at the end of the day that this really just is a fundamental roster issue with this offense and the, the coaching staff is trying to do everything they can to mask it as much as possible. But now other teams are just adjusting to it. And now it's all about trying to adjust to those adjustments. And maybe that adjustment is trying out Desmond Ritter. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, That's a, that's a good line of discussion. I do, want to get to some of these donations because we just had like six come in um so, so before they stack up uh let me get to those and remind people please do like and subscribe also we really appreciate that as well uh we got jason Gaines with the two dollars uh the Fal- he says the Falcons should go sign janoris jenkins i think he would really help the secondary it does sound like kevin king is planning to sit out this year as he recovers from injuries also for fun we could go bring back true font robert alford and brian pool because they're all free agents yeah get the band back together we will Jason, we will talk about uh, corner and some potential signings, trade stuff when we get to that more like trade deadline sort of discussion. So we will definitely talk about Janoris Jenkins as an option. Um, Ray Moon with the $5. Thank you so much, Ray. He says, uh, despite Mariota's limitations, still think first-year adjustments should be taken into consideration. That being said, if if when we get mathematically eliminated, Ritter should start. Um, yeah, I, I think all that's fair. Like, like what we were all saying, like Mariota, 
it may take him time to get used to the offense and every quarterback should be given like a little bit of an opportunity. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, obviously if they get mathematically eliminated, I think we'll see Ritter like as soon as that happens, if not before. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, I think it's very likely we will see Ritter just because I think they need to know one way or the other, uh, what, what they have with Desmond Ritter. Um, all right, we got uh, Jason Gaines with two more dollars. Thank you so much, Jason. He says, feel bad for Matt Ryan. Yeah, we're going to talk about Ryan, of course, as well tonight. Uh, Jim Jim Hersey flat out lied to him. That that Colts O-line is horrendous. Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor outside of one game this year did absolutely nothing. Uh, feel bad for DW and everyone over at Stampede Blue. They got screwed. Yeah, I mean... Um, Hard to name a more disappointing team, maybe the Broncos, uh, than than the Colts this year. Interesting that both horse teams are underperforming. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I feel bad for Ryan. We'll definitely talk about him tonight as well. Um, and then George Costanza, I'll get to uh, his one dollar tip first because it's relevant uh, to the to the poll I just posted. So uh, George wants to know if I actually did do the math on how much he's donated. Uh, I have done the math. Uh, and he wants me to save his other question for the end of the show. So I'll be sure to, to get that later, George. Thanks. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, thank you guys for those. If you guys have questions, you, the link to that is in the show description, streamlabs.com slash falcoholic, the falcoholic slash tip. Uh, yes. And, and you can vote in the poll if you think George Costanza has donated over $1,000 or under $1,000. Uh, so I, I have looked it up. We will reveal that uh, shortly. So this is mostly an excuse for me to try YouTube's new poll system. So, um, but you know, it, it's fun, right? It's engaging. Okay. Back to the Falcons discussion. Um, to me, I, I agree with you guys that it is a complicated issue. I think, I don't know. I'm trying to, to determine like long-term what the plan is here, because I do think next off season is likely to be like the off season of the trenches, or at least we, I think we all sort of hope it is like, finally, they're going to invest in the trenches, you know, with veteran signings and draft picks and all these things. Um, and right now, like I said, I think the weakest point is at center with Drew Dahlman. Since he's such a young player, you're maybe hopeful that he continues to grow over this season. And maybe it's not. Uh, maybe it's not, you know, something that's a problem by the time we get to the end of the season. Maybe he's he's adjusted better. Um, and then you have offensive tackle mainly right tackle and left guard that are maybe the other spots you consider. Um, just briefly looking at free agency, we talked about this during the Q&A, like the tackle class, the offensive tackle class looks a lot better, I think, than the center and guard group, in my opinion. Um, but tackles tend to be the most expensive also, so that's something to keep in mind. But I know we got we got Adnan's take on this uh, last uh, on Monday night on the Q&A, but Aaron, we haven't heard from you. Do you right now, would you be giving McGarry an extension? Would you be tagging him? Would you be letting him walk? Where are you landing halfway through this season on, on sort of the status of McGarry and free agency next year? Well, I, I also talked about this recently on Lockdown Falcons. <laughs> and I'm go. disappointed plug. Yeah. Kevin, that you did not. Um, I d- apparently uh, I missed it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, <laughs> it was on today's episode, I think. So if, if you didn't listen to the all 22, you, you missed it. But basically I, I kind of said, that McGarry, I would be willing to assign him to like a sort of cheaper one or two year contract, similar to what like Trent Brown signed with the Patriots this past offseason. I think he got like a two year, $13 million deal. Uh, but it's a deal that the Patriots could get out of after this season, um, after one year. 
And I, I, I feel like while McGarry has played well, you know, given that he's going to be 28 in February, um, you know, I, I don't feel like the Falcons should be long-term committed to him. And if they have an opportunity to, to upgrade and replace him with a high draft pick um, with a guy that could potentially be, you know, the short-term right tackle and potentially be the long-term left tackle should, you know, the Falcons look to replace Jake Matthews in a couple of years, that would be kind of ideal for me. But at the same time, you know, I, I do think this upcoming free agent class is not great along the offensive line. I do agree with you that the tackle group does look slightly better than the guard group because it's, the guard group is basically Elton Jenkins and, and that's it. Uh, and technically, I guess he's a tackle now. Um, and he'll, he'll probably get franchise tagged. So I, I don't see him hitting the market. Um, and so it's basically like Jack Conklin and Mike McGlinchey. Uh, and neither of those guys are like great tackles, but like right. Jack Conklin obviously had a lot of success playing right tackle in Tennessee. Mike McGlinchey is, is a really good run blocker uh, and maybe not hold the whole Matt Ryan thing against us because that's his cousin. Um, but, you know, it's not a great pass. Protect. He's basically like Caleb McGarry, like this version of Caleb McGarry, like the competent version of Caleb McGarry is what Mike McGlinchey is. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it, it's not like you're making a massive upgrade there. So how the team addresses the offensive line this offseason is going to be fascinating to me because like, I think you look at this starting five, if they were to run it back with the starting five and they say, we're going to run it back with these guys. Like I, I would get it. Like I wouldn't be like, Oh, this is a terrible move. Like I was saying last offseason when they, it looked like they were running it back with <laughs> last year's starting five. Yeah. But like, I feel like you cannot put too much confidence in this group moving forward without real improvement, particularly in pass protection over the course of the rest of the season. And so if you're going to run it back with the starting five, then I, I would really like to see this team invest significant resources in the draft on the offensive line. Um, and if they're not willing to do that, then I would like to see them be aggressive in free agency to try to find multiple upgrades or at least bring in competition for some of these guys that they might retain and use that as a way to, to upgrade uh, that group. So um, as you say, the, the offseason of the trenches is going to be fascinating because I, I feel great about the direction of the D-line because I feel like there's so many really good players going to be available in free agency that we can spend yeah. all the money on those guys, which is, you know, not to spoil the later conversation about the trade line deadline, but that's part of the reason why I'm not too interested in the Falcons making trades at this point. Um, but, like, on the offensive line, I, I do think it's going to be some challenges ahead for the Falcons uh, if they – want to go the veteran route to upgrade that unit yeah i agree that was a bunch of, of very good information and i do definitely want to talk about the defensive line too and i think we could sort of use that to transition into the the trade deadline talk because that's sort of relevant to this um but i did want to give adnan a minute to weigh in anything else you wanted to add on the offensive line adnan before we start moving on oh uh, no just that we're we definitely are gonna see some changes just given what uh, what Arthur Smith likes to do, uh, given uh, how important the offensive line has always been to the success of the Tennessee Titans in his days over there, how important the offensive line and the defensive line has been uh, to the success of the New Orleans Saints during Terry Fontenot's days over there. Um, we haven't really seen uh, any bit of an overhaul thus far because we couldn't, uh, because the past two off seasons, they've been, you know, untangling the the cap space mess that was left to them by the previous regime. 
But now that they have the freedom to pursue their own players uh, on, you know, a greater scale, I think that we will see a, a lot of a lot of investment within the trenches this this offseason and over uh, in the coming months and during the months of, of the dead period and uh, and uh, of the offseason will will break all of that down eventually. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We got we do have all offseason to talk about it too. Uh, so we can't, you know, exhaust all of the free agency and draft content, you know, halfway through the season. Gotta get these takes off now, Kevin. Yeah. Gotta get these takes <laughs> they, off. They now. do expire. They're exploding takes. So they <laughs> you gotta get you gotta hurry up and get them out there. But no, I mean I, I agree with you guys. I think it is um like I to me it, I would to me I generally think I would prefer to go the like get a veteran center route. But the center class in free agency right now is just extremely underwhelming to say the least like there's nobody i would really be interested in getting to be completely honest um now that doesn't mean that no one will ever become available um you know you wonder with like uh nick gates of the giants right a uh, guy that was playing really well had that debilitating injury he was just activated off of ir um you know is he he is technically a free agent next year that could be a potential like risk reward signing for the falcons to see if give him a chance to start uh, that sort of thing. Um, but otherwise, it's just like you're just sort of hoping maybe somebody gets cut. Uh, I do think that there's actually a couple of interesting centers in the draft. I won't lie and say I've watched center tape. Like, I've been grinding that, you know, center tape uh, eight weeks into the NFL season. That is absolutely not true. But going off draft network, I think there's three centers in the top 50 right now of their the TDN top 100. Um, so there are going to be some guys that, that could be a target, you know, on day two. I don't think there's any like necessarily first round type guys, but, um, definitely some guys that are interesting. And then you guys know, I love Peter, uh, Peter Skaronsky, uh, who can play all five positions. He played center in high school. So, uh, he's also played guard and mostly tackle, but, uh, I really like the idea of like a P- Peter Skaronsky type. He's sort of similar to like an Elton Jenkins and that he can play all five spots and, Maybe you have him play guard for a year or something like that, and then eventually he becomes your right tackle or your left tackle of the future. Um, just, I really like those guys. You can sort of plug in wherever you have a hole. Um, it's always nice. Even if they're a rookie and they're not a starter, it's like they can back up every spot on your offensive line. It's nice. Um, but, you know, draft takes are coming later, I promise. Uh, not, not necessarily right now. Um, all right. <clears throat> Before we get to the trade deadline talk, let me get to a couple more of these donations. I know there's a, an Aaron centric one from Jason Gaines uh, saying, uh, Aaron, th- this show is brought to you by car shield. <laughs> I think I, I remember that ad read. That's a pretty good one. Um, oh yeah. And he's saying, you know, he thinks you should change the, the tagline to make the Falcoholic live your second listen after locked on Falcons. So, uh, I believe I can, you know, answer why that doesn't happen folks. It's that, you know, I think Aaron may have contractual obligations to plug various shows, uh, you know, not that those shows are poor quality or that they're not good shows, but there may be, you know, other incentives behind the, the order of shows plugged on, on Locked on. No Falcons, comment. But, no yeah, comment. No comment. You got to keep the mystique. Money. Yeah. Aaron makes the big money out here. Like, <laughs> you, you know, he, he signed a contract like what we saw from Matt Ryan with the with Locked On. So. <laughs> Just add a one and two zeros to that and we got a business. How much you get me? One dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, guys, uh, 
no i appreciate eric coming on and uh the ad reads like if i i I listen to locked on falcons enough so when i actually have to do an ad read i'm going to be prepared because i've heard aaron do it like a million times so um (laughs) so i'm just going to do the same exact inflection and then we could just use the ads on both of our channels and no one will know the difference um but uh let me get to uh patrick here with the one dollar thank you so much patrick he says quick question what do you guys think the falcons will do with damian williams once he gets off ir do you think he could be a trade candidate released or still be on the team that's an interesting one i mean i i do think that he'll be back on the team i think that they liked what he brought um i'm sort of surprised he hasn't been activated yet i'm guessing that his rib injuries lingered more than maybe we all anticipated but do you guys have any thoughts on on damian williams i mean i know the the emergence of Caleb Huntley has sort of maybe made it a little bit more complicated, but um, they don't even they don't even have fifty three players on the roster right now, so clearly they have space to basically bring in anybody they want. Um, what do you guys think about Damian Williams coming back or potentially getting even cut? I guess. Uh, I don't think he'll be cut. Um, I think Huntley's been good, but uh, I think Williams is one of those guys where. Uh, I think after he comes back, uh, I think they really do want to slot him into that committee role. Um, he was the veteran signing, uh, got hurt in week one. It is weird to me how we just haven't gotten much of an update about him. I think he was eligible to come off a IR, what, last week. Um, but I think if he is fully healthy and Patterson will hopefully be back after this week, I think uh, I think they're planning on what they did in week one, running that uh, three-man committee of Williams, Algier, and and Patterson, with Huntley, you know, going back down. Uh, I think I think we already saw it a little bit with Huntley's carries getting getting cut down in the past game. I think Algier was had 16 carries to Huntley's six, where it was more of a split in the three weeks before where Algier had 36 combined versus Huntley's 34 combined. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely don't think that Williams is going to be the odd man out in, in this in this committee. I think that, that would probably be Huntley. Yeah. It's tough, but, I mean, I think if anything, like if they really want to keep Huntley and Williams, they just will. They'll just carry five running backs um, and probably make someone inactive. But... But maybe they'll make Felipe Franks inactive finally. You know? Hey, you know. Maybe, but, but you know, Aaron would never let that happen. Uh, no, never, Aaron never. actually is fine with Felipe Franks being, being inactive. That's not, that's not where Aaron takes umbrage. He takes umbrage with Felipe Franks, the God being cut uh, because, you know, Kyle Pitts is only getting three targets a game. Clearly we need to upgrade the tight end position and Felipe Franks is here to do just that. So. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. When, you know, red zone threat, Felipe Franks, people, Five years from now, when Felipe Franks finally catches that touchdown, you you, you remember this day when I told you guys this was coming. Um, yeah. I'm still my uh, my conspiracy theory, and I don't even think it's a conspiracy theory. Arthur Smith is just holding Franks for years for one trick play, one advantageous <laughs> trick play, where it, it's it's gonna work. Uh, I hope, but that that's gonna be the that's gonna be the entire climax of this entire experiment. Yes, hopefully well, it comes in a crucial playoff game. Yeah. <laughs> what was funny is Franks played one snap uh, against the Bengals. It was the opening snap for the Falcons offense, and they designed a shot play on like a wheel route. He went in motion and ran a wheel route, uh, and the play was designed to go to him for a shot play, and, and Mario to wind up scrambling for like a 
five yard gain or something like that. But, uh, yep. you know, he, Arthur Smith is definitely trolling people <laughs> by <laughs> designing all these shot plays for Felipe Franks and, and never for Kyle Pitts. So it, yes, I find it hilarious. Yes. I mean, I think it is funny. Um, maybe the joke's on us because like Marietta wouldn't throw it anyway, but <laughs> no, to, to be fair, he has throw he has targeted Felipe Franks a few times. Maybe Arthur Smith uh, turns Felipe Franks into a goal line scavenger the way the Saints did with Taysom Hill. And go. that just pisses the fantasy community off. Oh, even yes. More. Oh, it, that's it, perfect. It kills Cordero Patterson's value, too. <laughs> the, only, the one reliable fantasy asset. Uh, and Marcus Mariota, honestly, most weeks has been like fine as like a quarterback, too, if you like really needed a quarterback. But uh, yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I think the Felipe Franks vulturing would be the next step in the inevitable, like, let's just destroy the fantasy value of every single player on the Falcons just because um, to really stick it to the fantasy uh, gurus out there. So I believe that's what my, you know, my, my, next, I don't think my bio still says fantasy football guru. So I should be saying Next, we'll start carrying two kickers, too, and then you'll never know which one is going to be after. <laughs> you rotate the kickers, keeps them both fresh. You know, and that me and one of them's left footed and one of them's right footed. So yeah. the defense, the special teams can never get settled. You know yeah. about what side? Yeah, they they trade and um and, and uh who kicks the first field goal? The other kicker kicks the next field goal, and then you can't roster either. Yep, exactly. It's just uh just total chaos. So I like I like the dark path that this is taking, but um hopefully they won't end up actually doing that because I, I have a feeling you know that wouldn't work in the real NFL. But you know what do I know? Just an internet GM. Um, all right. So next up, we should probably talk a little bit about the trade deadline. Um, I'm not expecting the Falcons to make any moves. I don't know what you guys think uh, about the moves. We did see Robert Quinn, of course, go to the Eagles. Uh, I didn't really think the Falcons would be like seriously interested in trading for Quinn because of his age and his price tag and all those things just didn't seem like the type of move that would really move the needle for them. Um, but I'm curious, uh, maybe a cornerback. I know people have like, you know, raised the idea of greedy Williams and stuff like that. Um, but I'll, I'll open the floor, uh, to Adnan first on this one. Do you have any, any, any moves you think could come at the trade deadline? Do you think it'll be trades or do you think they might just like sign a quarterback off the street? Uh, I would, probably guess that they would sign someone off the street i think one of the uh, one of the tips uh, mentioned janoris Jenkins as as a possibility one of these older veteran guys um I, and that's only if those injuries are, are more long term I, I think more than anything the odds on favorite thing to happen and i know this isn't exciting is uh nothing yeah. um uh, i think that this the team will more than likely just stand pat. Um, I think D. Alford practiced uh, today, yep. and uh, I think he's uh, he's on the right track to play this week. I don't think we'll see Terrell. Uh, Hayward is a few weeks out from coming back from IR. I think they'll just try to sort of weather the storm a little bit, um, especially knowing that they have two games against the Panthers uh, in the next three weeks and one against, I think, the Bears. And those are not three prolific passing attacks. And I, I think that the schedule is playing a part into that, but uh, you're facing only one really good passing offense in the next few weeks before theoretically Hayward comes back, and that's the Chargers. Um, so 
I would I would I would say that they probably won't make any moves and they'll just try to roll with what they have and they'll just hopefully get organically healthier by the time they face those teams that are more dangerous uh, in the air. Yeah, I I agree. I just I don't I don't feel like trading picks for like rental players like greedy Williams, you know, or, or got like aging veterans that are like still really good. But, you know, I know people have like floated the Bradley Chubb thing and it's like, that's going to be at least a second round pick, if not more. Uh, and then you have to turn around and pay him too. So like, if it's me, I'm probably just taking my chances with, with who comes available in free agency and not really jumping on any of these trades. Cause I, I think, I think the, if the Falcons want to sort of emulate the Ravens style, which is sort of the vibe that I've been getting and sort of what Fontenot has, has hinted at in the past, they need to keep the draft picks. They need to keep their draft picks and, and, and build that way. They've already traded away, you know, their sixth round pick and their fifth round pick, I believe, this year. Um, they do have an extra fourth, extra seventh, uh, but they, you know, they they it's better to not come out uh, trading all these picks away because I think that, impacts your your ability to build your team through the draft which is what i think they would prefer to do and i think you when you've got enough cap space like you you can feel confident that you can win bidding wars for guys that you really want uh as opposed to feeling like you're really constricted by the cap so i, I think i'm more comfortable just sort of waiting it out but aaron where, where do you stand on the should they make trades should they make moves you know where, where are you on that uh debate yeah i don't really see the upside of of trading for guys um, at this point in time, because m- when you look at most trades, particularly in season trades, it's usually like, you know, a CJ Henderson trade where basically a new coaching staff is giving up on a high uh, draft pick from the previous regime like that. Or all the trades are basically like teams that have Super Bowl aspirations, of, you know, acquiring players like last year, obviously with the Rams getting Von Miller and, you know, a, a couple of other Eagles trades, I think happened last year or something like that or the the chiefs getting uh melvin ingram and obviously the eagles getting robert quinn um this week um and like i don't see where the falcons fit into that category why the falcons should be looking for you know reclamation projects they're certainly not a super bowl team or anything like that um so like to me they have all the money as you say kevin to spend in free agency there's no real reason to use up precious draft picks to get guys ahead of free agency. Like, you know, I think Bradley Chubb and Deron Payne have been the names that people have been throwing my way these last couple of weeks. Um, I think they're really good football players, but I don't think they're so exceptional football players that like, oh man, you got to jump on this opportunity because there's just a rare talent that you're never going to be able to, to acquire. Like, you know, like I would rather have Marcus Davenport and the Falcons second round pick than Bradley Chubb. I would rather have yeah. Javon Hargrave and the Falcons third round pick than Deron Payne. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, I agree. I think you sort of take your chance, you know, with free agency, like use your money. Don't use your picks and your money, like use your pick to get draft picks and use your money to, to get free agents. You know, when you, when you, I think it's more for the teams trying to push for, playoffs for like serious contention that need to go assure that they get these guys to get these last pieces as opposed to the Falcons who I think are going to continue to be spicy you know continue to be frisky and then be in it you know probably till the end of the season at this rate uh but I don't think they need to go all out to try to maximize this year because like they only have 60% of the salary cap like it, it would be a miracle for them to seriously contend for anything this year and 
that doesn't mean they won't make the playoffs or can't win, you know, the wild card game or whatever. But it's like this team is not like this team has less than a one in 10 chance of going to Buffalo, like winning a game against Buffalo or Kansas City or probably the Eagles as well in the NFC. Like, I don't think this team has more than a 10% chance of beating any of those teams to win at all or, or to get to the Super Bowl. So, and also they could probably would, would be like underdogs against pretty much every other playoff team in the NFC at this point. Uh, so I just don't think it's worth trading away your draft picks. And right now it seems like this regime is doing a pretty good job about utilizing those draft picks. I mean, they haven't, haven't hit on every single one, but I think on the whole, this they've had a pretty good hit rate. You certainly like how they've developed guys from year one to two. So right now, I, I my plan would be to just give them as many bites at the apple as possible with the draft and then, you know, utilize your money. Like, if you have guys you really want, then go overpay. Like, that's what you have to do in free agency. Like, if you think Deron Payne is the guy to have next to Grady Jarrett long-term, then you overpay him and get him here. You know, it, it, you have the money this year to do that and front load that contract if you want. So, like, just... That that would be my preference as opposed to trading away the capital, but um, we need to save also, those draft picks. Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was just adding draft picks are going to be even more precious because of how much money the Falcons going to spend because they're not going to get any comp picks yeah. next year, you know. And yeah. so like using what little draft capital they they have to potentially you know particularly on day three to potentially like trade back or whatever to get twenty twenty four draft picks to compensate for. Our, the non-comp picks that they're not going to get next year, you know? So like, I I feel like, you know, these draft picks are going to be a lot more precious, particularly because of the Falcons, you know, potentially going on a spending spree this off season and, and potentially in future off seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think you're not looking at 20, at getting any comp picks um, next year. You know, if you do sign a lot of players, maybe you start with the Ravens approach more in like 2024, like sort of, re-signing your own guys and, and not, you know, going out and spending big, but we'll have to see how they want to do it. We, we haven't really seen what they, what they like an ideal offseason. I think it's like the first time we're going to be able to see how they actually want to do it when they do have the resources to basically do it however they want. Like, do they want to trade? Do they want to sign guys and, and do free agency? Do they want to take a more draft focused approach? Like they will have all of the options and we'll actually get, I think, a really good look at, like, in an ideal offseason, what do they actually do? Because so far, they've just gotten crap offseasons back-to-back where they've had very little flexibility. They've been sort of forced into restructures and extending guys that they may or may not have wanted to. Like, the idea now going forward is that they have the flexibility to do what they want and we're going to actually get to see, hopefully, their plan get executed the way they want it and hopefully be good. But, um, you know, We'll see. Um, let's see. I was going to mention, oh, yeah, they, they need to make sure to hold on those draft picks for Lamar Jackson also, uh, you know, uh, on the off chance, you know, that he breaks free and is available on the trade market. You need all those picks for Lamar, guys. You know, we got Calvin Ridley to send. We know they need receivers, right? But uh, we got we to gotta keep all those picks for Lamar. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure you know, the Mariota stands will not be happy to hear me keep talking about Lamar Jackson, but... If you're not excited about the idea of Lamar Jackson, possibly, even if it's like a 5% chance coming to Atlanta, then I don't know what to say to you. Because that's like, you know, that's very exciting. There's no negative baggage attached to it either. So, you know, I would be, I, this is, if they're going to go big for a quarterback, at least go that route, uh, is my opinion. But, um, <clears throat> all right. Let's get to a couple more of these donations. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Jason Gaines says, 
Cowboys DC Dan Quinn sure does love to pick up his ex-Falcons. Uh, Dante Fowler, Devontae Casey, Keanu Neal, CJ Goodwin, Deontay Burton, Ito Smith, and now Kendall Sheffield. I wonder when he's going to sign Marlon Davidson and Tack McKinley. <laughs> I mean, it could happen. It could happen. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, these are guys that he, you know, drafted and worked yeah. with. So, I mean, just wait till the Falcons sign Ryan Tannehill next offseason to be the right. long <laughs> there you go yeah that's a really dark timeline <laughs> well no it'll be funny because like ryan Tannehill will reunite with arthur smith and will like once again be like ryan Tannehill from like prime arthur smith years and then you know it'll just it'll just be the cycle repeating all over again it'll be exactly the same thing uh it'll be Mariota here and then like Tannehill comes in and replaces him in like week four uh and, <laughs> and then you know Tannehill has like great you know great seasons and um you know, it'll, it'll just be completely, you know, time is a flat circle, okay? It's just going to keep repeating itself. Um, and we, as we all know, Ryan Tannehill, you know, leaves a team where he's like, oh, you know, he's okay, but we don't we don't know if he's the future, and then goes to Atlanta and, and lights it up. So as long as somebody lights it up, I don't care. Just somebody, please, come in and light it up uh, at some point. That'd be great. Um, we got Ray Moon with the $5. He's asking, where is Eric? Uh working for ESPN. So sadly he doesn't get a lot of Wednesday nights off, but he is going to come on sometime. Uh, and who's going to be our next guest? Cough, cough, Matt Ryan. You know, uh, I'm going to get Evan right on that for we'll you. Right? Yeah. We'll get Evan on that. Uh, He's got some free time. <laughs> he does. Unfortunately, uh, for Matt, but, uh, <laughs> then we got Jason Gaines to $2 says it's too bad. The Falcons didn't do an onside kick against Hayden Hurst last week. We know he would have just watched the ball spin and we would have gotten the, to, gotten to recover the onside kick. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we also need to make sure to do that against the Vikings because Ben Kotwick is on their staff. Yeah. Yep, yep. So, you know, I, they missed a golden opportunity, Jason. Uh, I feel like if they had if they had an opportunity to kick an onside kick and still be in the game, I think that we would have seen. They would they would have gone right at Hayden Hurst. Uh, I wonder if Hayden Hurst is even on their, like, hand team on the onside kick. like, Or if they just were like, you know, we're not going to, like, we're not going to even put you. Uh, we're not even going to put you in, in that situation. So, um all right. Well, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else we need to cover. We should talk about the Matt Ryan thing. Obviously, sad uh, for Ryan, who's been benched by the Colts, who I think are basically low-key tanking with this move. Um, inserting Sam Ellinger. Uh, Matt was getting absolutely clobbered behind the Colts' offensive line. Hadn't had the start that I think many were hoping for. But again, I think it was sort of like we had seen some signs of life. Like there had been a couple of good games in there. Uh, recently, and then this last week obviously was not great against the Titans, but um, might be the end for Ryan as an NFL starter. Uh, very inauspicious, sadly, end for him. Um, Odd, I'll let you get the first crack at it. Anything you want to say about Ryan, you know, potentially seeing his last NFL start? It's, it is very sad, to be honest, um, because, you know, it, it, it's difficult for athletes in general to, um, to kind of finish on top. And I, I'm not saying that, you know, Matt Ryan was on top or that he should have retired or anything. He's making really good money right now. But just, you know, in, in general, you know, our favorite athletes and the superstar athletes in their prime that we, you know, sometimes even grow up watching, uh, you know, they're closing out their career in a whimper, so to speak. Like we saw it with Peyton Manning. Sure, he the Broncos won the Super Bowl, but they won it despite him. We we saw Manning benched in his last season in Denver, and he came back and he became the starter, led the league in picks, I think. 
Um, you know, we're sort of seeing it a little bit with Tom Brady struggling a lot this year, uh, whereas he could have sort of gone out on top last year, but he decided to spite Adam Schefter and come back uh, just because uh, just because of Adam Schefter's report. I'm kidding. Um, not, I'm not starting that rumor. Um, but yeah, ju- just in general, it, it, it is... It's sad to sort of see Ryan fall off a cliff a little bit with his play this year. And I know that it wasn't all his fault in Indianapolis. The offensive line what looks really bad over there. The run game did not was not looking good. The defense was okay. Um, but the Colts really I think Frank Wright Frank Wright himself said that the Colts weren't holding up their end of the bargain with Matt Ryan. Or if it wasn't Wright, it was someone who said that. Uh, over at over in Indianapolis, that they aren't they weren't giving him the offensive line or the run game that you know he thought he was getting, and on top of that, Ryan has made some poor decisions. Uh, he has eleven fumbles this year, which leads the league, and which would be, I think, eleven's a lot for a full season. Yeah. Um, he's, I think, one of the league leaders in interceptions. Um, he 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 didn't look good, and the fact that they're going to Sam Ellinger, who's a six, who was a sixth round rookie last year, really says a lot. Uh, despite the fact that you know they're still in the hunt, they're a five hundred exactly, three three and one. But uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's hard to watch. Um, it's hard. It'll be hard to watch Matt Ryan, you know, holding a clipboard on the sidelines if he is the backup. I don't know. If uh, if they announce that Nick Foles will remain the backup all season, but you know, overall, uh, if we're looking at it from just an objective Falcons perspective, the Falcons made out well with that trade of uh, getting rid of of uh, the entire cap space starting next off season. Um, you know, got some draft compensation as well, but. You know, it, it, it just sucks to see because I, I know we were all rooting for Matt Ryan. Yeah, yeah, very sad to see. Aaron, anything else you want to add on, on the uh, sad end potentially to Matt Ryan's era in Indianapolis? I'm, I'm laughing because when you say sad, I'm just thinking of Donald Trump tweets. Um, <laughs> sad. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it, it was tough to see it all kind of just fall apart for Indianapolis. Cause we all sat there back in March being like, Oh man, like he's like, you know, he doesn't really have to do anything. He can just basically hand the ball off to Jonathan Taylor and that offensive line will give him protection. They have a pretty good defense. You know, he'll, he'll just basically have to manage the game and, and they should be able to cakewalk their, their way to a, a winning record and a pretty soft AFC South as all things looked. And, none of those predictions came true, you know? Um, And so that's, what's so odd about it that like, it's just (laughs) nothing. It just seemed like all the bad luck, if you want to call it that went in that direction towards the Colts where nothing went right for that football team. And obviously, you know, Matt Ryan has not played particularly well. Um, It it did feel like, you know, cause you go back when they had Philip Rivers, they kind of started that season like two and four, I think it was. And then they sort of got things going and he, he had a good game the other week, uh, much to my chagrin. Cause I had money on the other team. I think it was the Jaguars. Um, and like, you were like, okay, this is, this is the thing that, you know, this is going to be the thing that gets there, this going and gets some momentum. Uh, and they'll be back in the, in the thick of it by, by years in. And then, you know, he gets hurt and, 
now the Colts are just basically like we're giving up on the season uh, by going with Sam Ellinger, although they, you know, they say all the things, you know, and, you know, given how this season has gone and Geno Smith is basically a shoe in to get comeback player of the year at this point in time, um, you know, at this point, you know, maybe Sam Ellinger is actually good. And then we'll, we'll just sit here and we'll just be baffled. And, you know, no one would have thought Russell Wilson would be, would fall on his face. Matt, Matt Ryan would fall on his face. You know, people have been predicting Tom Brady's downfall for like 12 years. Uh, and it hasn't eventually happened yet. It, they're going to be right. Yeah, <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just and then Geno Smith and, and Cooper Rush, are the, the, the breakout stars of, of 2022. Smith, baby. Yeah. It's been a weird year for quarterbacks. Really. <laughs> it's been such a strange season. Like, well, like, <laughs> really obviously, of Allen and Mahomes are at the top of the mountain, as as everyone expected. Jalen Hurts has been really good. And then, like, after those guys, like, you know, Geno Smith has been much better than, like, expected. But I don't think there's been any quarterback playing at a really elite level other than the first three guys that I mentioned this year. Lamar yeah. had a Mar- Lamar had a run, but he seems to have cooled He's off a little bit the last couple of yeah. weeks. Yeah, yeah. Just got to help. You got to keep on that trajectory to, to, to drive down that trade price. Uh, no, I see I what you're doing, Lamar. It's very smart. I, I approve. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've, I've asked like I don't know other people before, but Aaron, what do you think actually about that possibility? Like very long term, sort of pegging it as like, do you think it's something that's even within the realm of the reasonable, or is it like a dart throw, you know, from a hundred feet? Like, do, does it even make sense for this team? What, what do you think about that? You know, very at this point, very far away p- potential possibility of Lamar Jackson somehow finding his way into Atlanta. I I don't see it happening. I just don't see any chance that Baltimore lets him go. Yeah, uh, that's sort of that's sort of what I think. One hundred percent. They can only franchise tag him twice. Yeah. You know, well, one of those will be this off season that they don't want to take that risk. He's coming. He's coming home. <laughs> if just... he does leave, I think there's a chance that it could be Atlanta that really goes the hardest for him. But I agree with you that like the chance of him actually getting out of Baltimore. Despite... 100%. It's, it's weird to me because like part of me sits here and thinks the only reason he hasn't signed a contract with them yet is because he doesn't have an agent and he just basically just doesn't really care that much. And there's been all these reports that say he doesn't care about playing on the franchise tag. Unlike other quarterbacks where, you know, that was, that was kind of the sticking point for Kyler Murray. He was just like, I don't want, you know, I want financial security now. Uh, and that led to that situation. And Lamar's just like, whatever, you know, the deal will get done when it gets done. Um, and so you, you do wonder if them tagging him, like just kind of drags out that whole situation for a couple of years. But I would hope, you know, if, if Lamar is tagged in 2023 and then 2024, which should keep him in Baltimore for the next two years, I would hope the Falcons have found their quarterback solution by then so that we're not still talking about <laughs> getting Lamar Jackson in 2025 Aaron, when he's Aaron, finally available. Aaron, what do you mean? Ryan Tannehill's two-year contract with the Falcons will be running up by then. It'll be for... Yep. I just, you know, I, I feel like either Desmond Ritter will be a good guy or will realize he's not, and then, I don't know, Caleb Williams or Arch Manning <laughs> or Quinn Ewer or some, so whoever that next you know superstar is by the time we get yeah so (laughs) let's not how about we don't do that but yeah uh no i mean i do what i I, because right now i really feel like like the the winds are shifting to where like they're not really gonna go after a quarterback in 2023 
Um, like I, at this point, I would be surprised if they did. Um, now, if we do see Ritter and Ritter's like, oh, this is a disaster, then it's like, okay, well, maybe the, the chances of that happening go up a lot. But um, I feel like they'll at least Mario to set it... the bar so low, though. It's just like That's true. <laughs> like it's like I I was thinking about this earlier game. today. Yeah. <laughs> if if Ritter comes in and just plays exactly the same as Mariota, we'll be like, oh, you know, like would we would we look at that and be like, that works for me. I can work with that. Maybe maybe that was all part of Arthur Smith's plan. You know, he, he's gonna just never pass with Mariota, and then no matter what Ritter does, you know, as long as it's not just like, you know, uh, Nate Peterman five interceptions in his first game, the fan base <laughs> will completely rally behind him. Uh, it's all part of the play yep yep oh man yeah if you if you listen to us arthur smith has been playing a lot of 4d chess with a lot of stuff (laughs) oh yeah big time big time so much so much so uh all right well we're gonna go ahead and and wrap up here first of all uh we're gonna get to this poll the results are uh 91 or 91 believe that uh, George Costanza has donated over a thousand dollars, so I'm going to give you guys the scoop right He's now. He's probably donated two thousand plus. Like, <laughs> no, way. no way, it's only a thousand dollars. I'm going to tell you guys right now what it is uh, that we got. All right, top all time. George Costanza has donated one thousand six hundred and thirty-six dollars on a total of two hundred and eighty-four donations. George. Uh, 284 not 283 no 208 yeah yeah thankfully i think he did two tonight to really make sure that that didn't happen that would have been really funny though uh it it did get to 284 before i read it off so shout out to george uh, yeah uh, shout out to george George for for all the support over the years and i will give the top five as well to give everyone their shout out Uh, Corey carter is in second uh he's donated 556 on 112 donations. So Corey crushing it as well. Thank you so much, Corey. We got Ken Ballard in third with 260 on eight donations. So Ken's big, big spender on his donations. Thank you so much, Ken. Uh, we got Ray Moon, who is in here as well tonight, uh, with, in fourth place at 259 on 42 donations. And then in fifth, we got Gary Stafford with 205 uh, on 19 donations. So guys, uh, thank you all so much. We really do appreciate that. Um, and then I got to get to George's uh, World Series donation for Adnan here. So he says, okay, Adnan, on one hand, we w- if we would have Dusty Baker winning his first World Series as a manager, but then that would mean the Astros win and they're cheaters and deserved a five-year ban from the postseason. But I cannot root for the Phillies. I won't never, ever, ever. So what, where do you lean on that? I'm not rooting for the NL East team, and I hate everything about Philadelphia sports and Philly fans deserve to suffer in misery. Um, also, their direct division rival of the Braves. So I'm, I'm rooting for an Astro sweep. I, I hope that they bang the trash cans in this World Series. <laughs> all right, fair enough, fair enough. Well, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in to the show tonight. Uh, please like and subscribe if you haven't done so already. Uh, and uh, if you don't mind, if you're listening to this on the audio version, leaving us a five star review. Uh, we really appreciate that. We lost our perfect five stars. I think we had we had five stars for a while on Spotify. Now it's four point nine. So shout out to whoever you know took us down from there. But I feel like I feel like five stars. It feels like a little too perfect because there was like eighty reviews. So like first of all, shout out to you guys for like you know, you, giving that many five star reviews. But like 
I feel like when it's 4.9, people are like, oh, these are like legit because like not ev- it's not it's not possible that everyone could love the show, you know. So I think 4.9 makes it feel more legit, like we didn't just buy a bunch of five star reviews or something, which we would never do, of course. That's 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 ridiculous. Uh, the mere suggestion of such a thing. Um, we didn't. Do we did. We definitely did not do that. But, okay, um, good. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm sure you could. That's probably a thing. But got, um, guys, this alcoholic does not pay us enough to be spending money on. Yeah, no. Reviews. No. We don't make no. that much money. We we do not. Yeah. Um, de- depend. People I mentioned think that I do for some reason. They're like, oh, well, if you hate the team so much, you know, you're just here for the money. It's, no. Or no. <laughs> I wish. Uh, yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, it would be nice if I could Scrooge McDuck my way into like a money pit after every game. Um, you know, when they played poorly and make myself feel better, but that does not happen, unfortunately. Um, but guys, we do appreciate yeah. that. Check I us out on. Penny. There you go. Yeah, that's the, that's the uh, our take for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> guys thank you thank you so much uh if you want to support the show on a monthly basis check us out on patreon patreon.com slash falcoholic live uh you can follow the show at falcoholic live you can also follow our special guest he is aaron freeman at Fal- fans host of the locked on falcons podcast uh your second listen of the day after checking out falcoholic live uh aaron anything else you'd like to plug no uh if people want to join the locked on falcons discord they can do so uh there's a pin tweet at the top of my twitter at falc fans and the reason you would do that is because every saturday we do a little symposium type thing and talk about the upcoming game it's basically a twitter space so if you you're bored saturday afternoon at three o'clock if you're you know over georgia beating the brakes off of whoever they're playing this weekend with florida um you know, hang out or whatever. I don't know. That's what I'm plugging. Yeah, absolutely. Discords are fun. Uh, we have a Falcoholic one as well. So, that I'll, you know, you, it's, it's in the show description if anyone's interested in that. But, you know, you can be in an unlimited number of Discord servers. So definitely check Aaron's out as well. Thanks again for coming on, Aaron. Appreciate you making the time. You know, technically, I could, you know, I think you're maybe contractually obligated now that you actually work for the Falcoholic to come here from time to time. But, you know, we sort of downplay that and make it seem like you actually like us. So. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Also with us tonight, my co-host, Adnan Ikech, he's at Say Which Way. Adnan, anything you're working on you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah. Fal- uh, what if the Falcons win or lose? And series history is coming this weekend as it does every weekend. Um, spoiler alert for the Panthers, the Falcons have beaten them a lot in their history. A lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Falcons better win this game, uh, and I will be breaking it down with a special guest on the Friday game preview, so you guys can look for that uh, Friday morning, and I will break that game in more detail. And then, of course, you can check us out on our post-game show immediately following the game on Sunday. Post-game's now going to have Alan Sturk in here for all the post-game shows. Uh and probably, you know, maybe other people, if they win, I find that when we win, you know, more people are trying to get into the postgame shows. But uh, now at least I've, you know, hooked Alan so that he has to come uh, no matter what, you know. Even if I think I've so. only come for losses to the post. I know. Yeah, it's, it's been bad luck. I think Dave's come on a couple of times when they win uh, because it's, that's Dave's purview as, you know, editor-in-chief. He can choose when he wants to make his face known uh, to the people. But, yeah, he, he wants the people to be conditioned to when they're happy, they see Dave. Yes, that's very you know, smart. But when they're very angry, they, they see me. I was wondering why he hired that psychoanalysis consultant uh, for the site. <laughs> now I think I'm starting to figure it out. So, Well, I balance things out by bringing him on 
locked on Falcons only after losses. So there you go. Yeah. All things are perfectly it. balanced as all things should be. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. We will see you guys uh, next time on the Falcoholic Live. I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin on the Twitter. We'll talk to you guys next time. Have a great night, folks.